Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerd at Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and joining us as always is Peter Sagel. Hello, I'm Nigel. I brought the Brie. I understand you've been waiting. <laughs> we never did find Nigel in the Brie. Now, Nigel never appeared with a Brie. Honest oh. to God, I mean, there should be a whole sequel to this movie about what happened to Nigel with the Brie. <laughs> so we are recapping 10 Things I Hate About You. It is a movie from 1999. It's an adaptation of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, and it stars, among many amazing supporting actors, Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, Larissa Olenek, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Andrew Keegan. And David Krumholtz! David Krumholtz! And David Krumholtz, who is excellent! He's great! And I was looking at him and going, I know this guy. How do I know this guy? How do you know that guy? Because- Because you were that guy? Well, to a certain extent, I was that guy. I certainly dressed like that guy. But I recognized him because I just uh, did this podcast about the plot against America. So I ended up watching the plot against America very carefully. Oh, right. And he's Uncle Monty. Ah. So for anyone who has ever wondered what happened to him, yes, he grew into the uh, grumpy Jew that he always was destined to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we got so many great voicemails this time around. We also pulled a bunch of great clips. I want to start with a voicemail and then a clip just to like kick this off. I think we should start with a voicemail from Katie because she can help set up the plot in a really delightful way. Hey guys, it's Katie in Phoenix. I was so excited to hear you're doing 10 Things I Hate About You. It's a tale as old as time. You get the sweet boy to convince the rich boy to pay the bad boy to date your sister, and it all works out perfectly in the end. Despite that plot, um, I love it. I loved it when I was a teenager, and I know that it stands the test of time because my baby sister, who is 13 years younger than I am, and a current high school sophomore, also freaking loves it. Um, It's a great movie. Can't wait to hear what you guys think. So there's a little more plot set up. Let's listen to, I think this is actually the first bit of dialogue. This is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's his first day of school, and he's talking with the guidance counselor, who is Allison Janney, who is phenomenal. Yes. She's Miss Perky. <laughs> that is her actual name, right? Miss Perky? Nine yeah. schools in ten years. My, my. Army brat? Yeah, my, my dad is... Uh... That's enough. I'm sure you won't find Padua any different than your old schools. Same little ass wipe shit for brains everywhere. <laughs> Excuse me? Did you just say... Am I in the right office? Not anymore, you're not. I've got deviance to see and a novel to finish. Now, scoot. Scoot! (laughs) Now, (laughs) none of our listeners can see us, but raise your hands if you would have preferred to see a movie about her. (laughs) Miss Perky? Peter is raising his hands. Yeah, her and the literature teacher. I was like, these are interesting oh, yeah. people. Yeah, well, and I read this online, I think just this morning, that um, she maybe has some uh, amnesia about having even been in this movie. <laughs> Wait, what do you, she just like rejected it entirely? Well, no, she just forgot that she was in it because somebody quoted that exact line to her, like on a caption of an Instagram photo she wrote. And she wrote like, what is this? Is this something I once said in a movie? <laughs> 
And uh, I mean, it's worth noting that like she was in this movie. It came out just a few months before West Wing completely changed her life. And she became the CJ Craig that we all know and love and, you know, skyrocketed the rest of her career. But yeah, Miss Perky also cult classic character for Alice and Janney. Total delight. Yeah. Which she probably did in one day sometime yeah. back yeah. in 1998. What's the yeah. role? Oh, you're the vice principal of the school. Go nuts. And you're like, yeah. okay. You're writing a dirty book. That's right. Go. Yeah, That's your motivation. Keep asking people for synonyms. For- <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that was a very good summary of the of the movie. I thank her. Another summary is just the the incredible dramatic tension that exists between the two most beautiful young people in the entire mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest. Figure out they're made for each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It does take place in Seattle. I did feel like there were too many convertibles, given the fact that it was a movie that took place in Seattle. Uh, And, and this is the level of criticism you're going to get from me today, it's not actually filmed in Seattle. It's filmed at the very real Stadium High School in Tacoma. Yes. Which I actually, as and this will sort of give away my opinions of the movie, I found myself during the movie Googling Stadium High School. Oh, I see. It's a real... High school built in 1905, originally intended as a grand hotel, but then it was transferred into a high school. And, of course, it's named for the very famous stadium that's right next to it, which we see the big scene. Oh, I'm sorry. Is something else happening on screen now? expressing an opinion. Everybody gather around. Please come to me, children. Trisha and I do have a friend who lived in Seattle for a while, and she said the Tacoma Pride, the like Tacoma-specific pride around 10 Things I Hate About You is extremely intense and real. Because Which I that high school funny. is kind of cool, and I'm sure looks like no other high school. So, yeah. And everybody knows Tacoma gets constantly shat on in comparison to the more hip, cool, amazing often setting of the movies and TV shows Seattle to the north so I'm sure they're very proud but it must be very annoying to them that although the movie is entirely shot in Tacoma they keep referring to themselves as Seattle residents <laughs> well I mean it's not like they talk about being residents of Seattle that that's true yeah. <laughs> Greta you're forgetting all those scenes that begin hello fellow resident of Seattle <laughs> hello yes, fellow exactly. Seattleite <laughs> wow. how do you like the Seattle sunshine quite rare indeed why, I don't understand why this woman the most beautiful young woman in Seattle can't figure out that she's naturally destined to end up with this gentleman, the most beautiful young man in Seattle. What tension? Both of them with their like gorgeous anti-establishment curls. We actually ended up getting a lot of voicemails about Julia Stiles' hair, which I thought was pretty great. I guess we should probably just listen to one right now, huh? Let's see. Here's Lindsay. Hey, Nerdette and Peter. This is Lindsay calling from the D.C. area. I wanted to talk about 10 Things I Hate About You because I feel it's very important to call out how amazing Julia Stiles' hair looks throughout this movie. When this came out in 1999, (laughs) I was in 8th grade, and I specifically remember asking my mom to style my hair like Julia Stiles' hair for an 8th grade dance. Um, it did not go well. It did not look good. Um, and it led to a full fit of tears and a light breakout of hives prior to the dance. But she was my fashion inspiration. And for years I have been, um, trying to figure out how I could make my hair look as good as hers. Even now, 21 years later. Love the show. Thanks for doing this. Um, and stay safe out there. Bye. 
full tears, light hives. That about sums up eighth grade dances for a lot of us, I think. <laughs> right? Right? So, Peter, had you seen this movie before? I, I had never seen this movie before. Uh, we talked about my disinterest in you high school movies high school way movies. back when, when we talked about Clueless, which was five years prior to this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, by the time we got to this movie, I was like, yeah, high school movies, no. Thank you. I, and I, I just assumed that lots of high school students, none of whom I happened to know at that time, were going to see it. But I had absolutely no... I mean, not only did I not see the movie when it came out, I had no interest in seeing it. It was like, I was like, nope, not on my radar. So I you, Alice and Janet, it. You just like removed I, it Yeah, from I was like, I mean, I, I, it, I knew the movie existed. This is what I knew about the movie before we watched it. I knew that it existed. I knew there was a movie called 10 Things I Hate About You. And I knew that it was an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew. That's it. I mean, that's a pretty good baseline, I would say considering i guess so trisha what about you oh i watched this movie many many times on vhs at like friends houses and stuff <laughs> i think through my middle school and, and high school years this was a movie where once it started i was like oh there's an unfortunate amount of my brain that just knows all this dialogue even <laughs> potentially still today right yeah like in the same way that like you know a song that is from a certain era of your life comes on and it's mm -hmm. just like stuff from when you're that type of, or that age of teenager just burrows deep and you never get that yeah. space back in your memory. Nope, it's just you there know. forever. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I thought it held up pretty well for like a pretty fun high school movie. And then I enjoyed learning and realizing that yes, clueless came out a few years before. And in fact, it was the inspiration for this movie that the two women who wrote the screenplay, um, when Amy Shetterling did something cool, we should do that. Let's make an adaptation of an old-timey story and put it in a high school. And so that's exactly what this movie is, is them wanting to do what Clueless did. Well, and I think you see, I mean, especially when that with that scene of David Krumholtz's character giving Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character a tour through all of the different cliques, I think that was the most obvious nod to Clueless. But yeah, I feel like you can see it throughout. I mean, it's also just like such a quintessential high school movie. Yeah, and, and the character of the father in this movie <laughs> is exactly <laughs> the character of the father from, from Clueless. It's a very different actor. But it's the I same guy, the overprotective dad. But he's less grouchy and more insane, I think. No drinking, no drugs, no kissing. No tattoos, no piercings, no ritual animal slaughters of any kind. Huh? Oh, God, I'm giving them ideas. Yeah, although th that, I think, is a function of the adaptation because, I mean, as as is obvious, the whole plot of Taming of the Shrew is that in, in I don't know what you want to call it, Renaissance Italy, there's this father who won't let his youngest, beautiful, wonderful, modest daughter get married, Bianca. Pure, Pure mm -hmm. thank you, unless his shrewish older daughter gets married first and in order to translate that you know patriarchal system to modern day Tacoma <laughs> pretending to be Seattle you have to to a certain extent make the father crazy and they decided obviously to do it for comic reasons rather than dangerous psychological pathological reasons well um, and it is like it's funny should we let's listen to it yeah i he's one of my favorites in this movie. and he's a stand-up comic apparently larry miller yeah, larry very miller. Funny yeah guy. he's great if your sister's not going you're not going end of story okay let's review cat not interested me dying to go do you know what happens at proms yes daddy we'll dance we'll kiss we'll come home it's not quite the crisis situation you imagine kissing huh that's what you think happens got news for you kissing isn't what keeps me up to my elbows in placenta all day long can we for two seconds ignore the fact that you're severely unhinged and discuss my need for a night of teenage normalcy what's normal those damn dawson's river kids sleeping in each other's beds and whatnot daddy that is so not got news for you 
I'm down. I've got the 411, and you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. I just think he's hilarious. He is very funny, and I'm laughing at that more now than I was when I was watching the movie, perhaps because when I was watching the movie, by that time, I was pretty annoyed. (laughs) But just some Larry Larry Miller in isolation. That scene also opens with him using one of those, like, crunch... uh, Bars yeah. oh, yeah. like to do sit ups, crunches, and going like seven. <laughs> and then he's got his resistance band that shoots over into the neighbor's yard. And at the very end of the scene, after you've forgotten about all of it, it you know sort of appears back on the deck and he goes, Thanks, Bill. Yep. As if his neighbor knows that this happens from time to time. <laughs> uh, so let's listen to another voicemail because there are so many good ones. Let's do, how about Meg? Let's listen to Meg. Hey guys, this is Meg in Lake Villa, Illinois. And what this movie gave 15-year-old me, aside from A, an expanded collection of long skirts and platform wedge sandals because cat goals, and B, a very high unhealthy standard for the bad boy with a heart of gold, um, was the idea of not having to force yourself or other people into stereotypes. Um, My sister and I had a very Cat Bianca type relationship. She was younger than me and more popular. And this really did make me reconsider how I was snobby towards her or judged her interests. Um, So it's kind of like the breakfast club of the 90s with a little more girl power and sister love. And I also believe that the soundtrack reinforced this whole message by proving that Alternative and pop and funk and ska can all coexist with, you know, angry girl music of the indie rock persuasion. P.S. To this day, my favorite random movie blooper quote is Perky's now, now, Perky's, Perky's now. I did think it was fun to watch the bloopers at the end of the movie, just because it seemed like they all had such a great time filming it, which is they, fun to see. There's, a, there's an old thing that uh, Roger Ebert said. Uh, about movies who said sometimes you're watching a movie and you realize that the people making the movie had more fun making it than you do watching it <laughs> and and I, I felt like the same thing watching those bloopers under the credits because like they're having a great time and there was something mm-hmm. kind of anarchic and fun about what they were doing mm-hmm. like, uh, that that isn't in the movie at all <laughs> which seems very you know even like the comedy bit you were just talking about you know with the exercise routine it's such sitcom level comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's like you can just sit back and say, "Oh yeah, he's funny because he thinks he's doing a hard sit up and he's not." And then there's the payoff, and then the funny physical comedy. It's like, yeah, okay, I've seen, uh huh, uh huh. And then in the credits and those bloopers, they're actually like being a little nuts and unpredictable and fun in a way that I did not think the rest of the movie was. But that's me, Greta. <laughs> what did you think? How big a movie was this for you growing up, or at any time? Uh, it was. It was a movie I remember seeing in high school and enjoying, but it did not blow my mind. Um, I will say I was like pretty intensely into Andrew Keegan, which I've mentioned before. And a- Andrew Keegan is the pretty guy. Ashamed to admit, yeah, he's like the super stupid right. model. Joey. In this. I mean, they're all pretty guys. To be, you're clear. saying I'm not a pretty guy. <laughs> how Greta did, why or did you Greta have some sort of crush or obsession whatever you want to put it with a guy who is so obviously a shallow villain well 
my friend. I mean, so many of these <laughs> movies, you you have crushes on the jerk, you know, like I feel like it, it I and I've quoted this before, but it reminds me very much of the line Lindy West wrote in her book Shrill that like feminism is just the long slow realization that everything you love hates you. And, you know, like, I feel like a lot of the guys who I had crushes on in very formative years, like looking back, I'm like, you know, Holden Caulfield was probably a dick, you know? You had a crush on Holden Caulfield? Oh, of course. Mr. Rochester is also kind of an asshole. Uh, Andrew Keegan is another great example, you know. I See, mean... here, this is this is where I get a little confused. And, and, <laughs> and, and this is why I'm glad you're here to explain this to me. Because okay. Andrew Keegan... I mean, he, he is. I will say, I did not have a crush on Andrew Keegan in this movie. Oh, it was more okay. just that I thought he was a babe. And you okay. know, like, do you remember those like Tiger Beat magazines? I'm not sure how familiar. Wait a minute, you were with have them we discussed personally? this gentleman? I mean, um, we had a prior conversation about somebody, and you talked about how he would appear in Tiger Beat. Did we talk about Andrew Keegan before? Andrew was Keegan, that... yes, because he appeared. He's he was Independence in Day. Independence Day very oh, briefly because he was the asshole it in that movie too. All comes together. Uh huh. Yeah. Now I see. So it's not yes. so much that you this had a crush really on. really just Nerdette recaps some other stuff and also, importantly, Andrew Keegan. Right. Nerdette discusses oh, Tiger Beat cir- with Peter The circle Sigel. is complete. Again. Now I get it. So it's not so much you had a crush on his character, who is obviously no, no, a jerk. No, no, no. Not his character. It's that, no. oh my God, he is so he is so attractive. No. and I mean, Heath Ledger, obviously, is yes. or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, are like much better crushes to have on in this movie. I would say healthier. For sure. Yeah. Healthier. Yeah. 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 I did really love the Jared Leto call out at one yeah, point. Yeah, that was as they're so doing weird. Research. Oh, I thought it was perfect because I think Jordan Catalano from My So-Called Life is like a very nice early version of Heath Ledger's character in this movie. So like it felt like another like nod to something that came out before that makes sense in this universe. It is also a little funny to have a movie where the world of the movie is set in the exact sort of same moment as it's like being filmed so like the Dawson's River yeah. kids being yeah. a Dawson's Creek reference etc the Jared Leto reference it's like Heath Ledger exists next to Jared Leto outside of the movie but inside of the movie you know it's it's mm-hmm. just kind of funny the pop culture references I think that they make in the, in the film itself I, I asked the same yeah, question yeah. I asked this question about uh, Emma I almost said and I asked this question about Clueless I'll ask this question about uh, this movie is this a movie primarily for young women did we get any voicemails from boys who love this movie we got a voicemail from Nick and Katrina should we listen to it Sure. Hey, Nerdette, it's Katrina. And Nick. We're from Chicago. We're calling about 10 Things I Hate About You, which I maintain is hands down the best teen movie ever made. It's not just nostalgia saying that because I was a junior in high school in 1999 and this movie is perfect, but also because this movie is actually perfect. (laughs) It really is. And I think the thing that actually really makes it work is the fact that Everything is so over-the-top absurdist from the teachers being really, really bad teachers in amazing ways to the cliques being like cowboys. Yes. Who maintain being cowboys throughout the movie, and it's great. Also, Heath Ledger is a very pretty boy, and I would follow that smile anywhere. Yeah, the assertion that he might not be pretty is actually the least realistic part of the movie. (laughs) And this movie involves a student flashing a teacher and absolutely nothing coming of it. Except for success. (laughs) It's so good! Uh, It's so good. So good. (laughs) So I guess there's a guy who likes it. Okay. There's a guy who likes it. I mean... I don't know. I do think it's an interesting movie. I think it pulls off the com better than the rom quite a bit. Like, I am not convinced 
beyond the fact that Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger are both beautiful humans and like sort of outcasty from the school that they actually have like I would have liked a little more reasons why they actually like each other in the end. They went paddle you know boating I mean? and paintballing. What more do you need? They went paddle. Yeah, we had the really cute paintball montage, but oh, there just God. wasn't that much. It was like a Mentos their... commercial for anybody who remembers those. Like, oh. but also, I mean, I'll get ready for the tweets on this one. I was like, the amount of time and energy that this movie puts into making us believe that they should be together is about as much time or more than Shakespeare does where you're often supposed to just believe that people love each other and would die for each other for no good reason. Oh, sure. No, I am I mean, yeah, no, we can throw shade at Shakespeare for his lack of adequate rom-com <laughs> energy, too. I just think there are, like, plenty of pretty great stories, especially these days where you do see characters, like, actually learn and grow together, you know? And it seems like, especially given the fact that the, both of these characters are allegedly kind of countercultural that they could have at least had like a nice bonding moment that I just felt like didn't really exist in this movie. Yeah. That's why my joke was about when are they going to figure it out? Cause it really, there was no obstacle to them being together from the first moment you meet them. Well, I mean, I I guess the obstacle is that he's getting paid to hang out with her, which she's obviously going to be super upset by when she finds out. Why would he need to be paid to hang out with her? She's, gorgeous and smarter than everybody else and and look at the hair but she has also severely injured several of his classmates mm, that's true well and she's difficult right she's a bitch well yeah but i'm sure you know that that there are lots of guys who wouldn't mind going out with a difficult woman i mean you know people uh, jump out of airplanes and ski off cliffs it'd be like uh, like extreme dating like, I think that's part of it. One of the things I became really interested in was, okay, to what extent did they adapt Taming of the Shrew? And when I watched the movie, I was like, well, this is disappointing because I remember Taming of the Shrew being a real battle of wits between um, the two of them. This extremely difficult woman who's smarter than everybody else and she meets her match. Kind of like Pride and Prejudice. Right. Or, um, or maybe Beatrice and Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing. And... And I was disappointed in the movie because it didn't really have that. I didn't really get the sense that like nobody was was uh, Julia Stiles equal until Heath Ledger comes up, or nobody was Cat's equal until Patrick comes up, or as they call him, what do they call him? They call him Verona. And I was disappointed they didn't provide us with any version of that. And then I went back and I read The Taming of the Shrew. That's what I did last night. Oh, good. I was hoping you <laughs> very quickly read The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, it's been a, been a very long time, and it turns out that I remembered it incorrectly. There mm-hmm. is one famous conversation where they first meet. And by the way, we should also say that all the stuff about like, oh, let's find somebody, all these different suitors for Bianca, and some of them conspire to get somebody to take Cat um, off the market or marry her first so they can get to Bianca and pretending to be tutors. That's all from Shakespeare. But the thing that I've forgotten about Taming of the Shrew is how insanely cruel and misogynistic it is. That yeah. what Petruchio does to Cat is he doesn't charm her or overwhelm her with her wit, with his wit, he rather. He starves her. He tortures her. In fact, it's an incredibly accurate depiction of what mind control and torture actually is in the world. He deprives her. He takes her away from her surroundings. He deprives her of sleep and of food. He gaslights her. He, he forces mm-hmm. her to say the sun is the moon in order to survive. It is awful. And so I can. Should we just play a jingle on Shakespeare real quick? Yeah, let's do it. The wisdom of the ages wrapped up in the body of a short, bald game show host. <laughs> was was Shakespeare bald-ish? 
bald. He was baldish. He was baldish. He had the long hair going. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a game show host. Uh, <laughs> he wishes he was. And so I can easily imagine the screenwriters who were two women, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and they're saying, oh, I know, let's, let's adapt Taming of the Shrew. That'll be awesome. And I'm sure it didn't happen this way. They said, let's do it. And then they got into the play and they're like, oh, God, we can't do any of that. What are we going to do instead? And what they did instead was they cast the most beautiful actor in the Western Hemisphere uh, as as Petruchio and let everything just proceed. We, we got to that moment in, in, in the stadium where he takes over. Yeah. Should um, we listen the, to it and then talk about it? Oh, please. Let's do it. It's him singing, according to the internet. Oh, that's exciting. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. There was a moment during that sequence where he's working his way down the the seats. Uh, what do you call them? You know, the rows of bleachers. Seat. Bleachers. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And my, well, I'm watching this movie with my wife, and she loved this movie. And she said, "Okay, here it comes. Here's the big moment. Here it is. Here mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Here it is." And it's this moment where he sort of sashays across a row, <laughs> doing this funny, like, charming walk, and she's like, "There it is." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, that's that's the that's movie." It? When, when, like. <laughs> And I'm assuming like that is some sort of iteration of some teenage girl fantasy. Wouldn't it be great to have oh. Heath Ledger arrange to have a marching band and then he sashays across a bleacher in, in your honor and your heart goes pity, pity, pat? I don't know. It's. I mean, I think this is a full decade before I remember hearing about promposals, the yeah, prom true. proposals <laughs> of YouTube true. that are now, I think, shockingly uh, prevalent. But yeah, also apparently he picked the song and he's really singing and he was very adamant about his costuming. Um, and again, like, you know, he's really, really 19 years old in this. Uh, some of the other actors are 17, 18, 19 years old. Gabrielle Union is the only one who's like well into her 20s of that core group of actors. So I think part of why the bloopers, like to your point earlier, are so fun is this is a bunch of people who are basically high school age mm-hmm. living out a fantasy version of their own high school Just sort of out. experience. Yeah. 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 What's interesting is we w- I watched two movies this weekend. This one and I watched Citizen Kane. Huh. What <laughs> a I hadn't combo, seen in a long time. Peter. And there's a scene in Citizen Kane in which Kane, trying to impress his staff at his newspaper, brings in a marching band. The doors fly open and the marching <laughs> love- band comes in. And so it's like, apparently, like it is a universal truth of human nature that if you want to impress people, hire a marching sure. band. Sure. Also, Bogey Lowenstein is the name of the sleigh. <laughs> the Venn diagram with 10 Things I Hate About You and Citizen Kane and then like the marching band is the only thing that they actually have in common. It's great. All right, let's take a break and then we'll talk more about 10 Things I Hate About You. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I will say in one of my uh, gentle critiques of this film, uh, it was interesting. So this one is 97 minutes, which I think is pretty much exactly how long Clueless was also. But this one did feel much more to me like there was a lot. There were 
scenes that didn't need to exist, I thought, much more in this case compared to Clueless. Like Clueless felt tight. It felt like yeah. everything was kind of pitch perfect, whereas this one felt like a little a little flabbier to me. Mm-hmm. It, it had the feeling, I, I don't know, I wasn't there. It had the feeling like it was assembled in the editing room by people who were like, well, what's funny? Mm-hmm. Okay, that looks funny. Let's leave that in. Or mm-hmm. it was kind of funny when this happened. Mm-hmm. And, and so there are a lot of moments in the movie which may or may not be funny. They thought they'd be funny. But the, el- the end result is, as you say, a kind of a loose structure. It's like, like they cared far more about, oh, is this scene amusing? Is this scene charming? All right, leave it in. Than like having a tight, story structure or progression from point A to point B to point C, mm-hmm. which was true of, uh, for the most part, of Clueless, which is why that movie, I think, stands up a little better. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh, comedy, and I think, Trisha, since you mentioned Gabrielle Union, let's listen to another clip because I do think this is probably my favorite line from the movie. I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe. Hi, ladies. It's funny, but it's it, that's just that's just sitcom comedy writing, uh, and it's I mean, in other words, like you just played that bit, and I had to think for a second and try to remember who says it because mm. it's not related to any character, and in fact, it kind of makes Bianca look stupid, and she's not stupid. We find out, uh, to quote Hamilton, "They think I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. She's not <laughs> stupid, but that's a stupid thing to say. But she says it because it's funny. She well, gets much right. smarter." quickly and without us seeing how in this yeah. movie. <laughs> right. Yes. Because yeah. they gave her a funny line to introduce her because it's a funny line on paper. It's great. Bianca's first line is there's a difference between love and like and I love my shoes and I like my Prada bag or whatever. Like that was the first thing you see about Bianca and it's like okay right. she's superficial she likes stuff and she's pretty. Like, And cool. how does she change into the admirable young woman that we see later. Those French lessons really... It's because she learns French, exactly. <laughs> and boy, were they successful. When she yeah, she gets to... really good at French and really mature all of a sudden. <laughs> really quick. I mean, the other the other thing I thought was like sort of oddly unexplained in this movie is they're like, our mom disappeared three years ago. Yes. And that is why I am cranky. So yeah, is yes. she dead in the actual play, Peter, since you read it? Uh, there, there, uh, yes, there is no mother. Uh, she's gone, but she died, which people did a lot more of in an earlier age yeah. back then. Um, you know, so, but yeah, and like, why did the mother leave? And, and what kind of mother just leaves this lovely, affluent life with two wonderful daughters? They are wonderful. And never contacts them again. That just struck yeah, me as I was like, something this that... Is something has happened here and we're never yeah, going to find out. Right. Apparently. It's like we're going to nod to this trauma during a couple important parts of the story, right. but we're not actually going to do anything about it. I mean, there, there, was, there was a trope uh, that somebody pointed out that, like, all kids' movies, there's a parent missing. Mm. Yeah. And, like, you know, even even a movie as, as lovely as Toy Story, where is Andy's father? Um, and there's something just like, all right, we'll just, we'll just remove a parent. And that sort of implies that there's emotional need on behalf of the kids that the plot will help them find well and i don't sure know do i mean maybe I, I that is certainly much less traumatic than say bambi which like fucked yes. me up murders yeah <laughs> true you know? and i guess you kind of have to do it to, again to sort of try to follow the taming of the shoe plot because if there was a mother around in the house and the father saying no they can't <laughs> date she would be like this is insane <laughs> exactly <laughs> go back to work so maybe it maybe it makes sense <laughs> i think the other thing about 
Heath and Julia that weirded me out was that there were a lot of stalkery vibes throughout, not only like being fed Intel about her, but the way he sort of is like looming behind her at the guitar store and yeah. like showing up at the bookstore. Like there's a lot of just sort of like magically showing up at the right place stuff. That's just a little creepy to me. I thought, you know, uh, w- one of the that's things that I'm trying favorite. to decipher is why this movie seems to be so very, very popular with young women or women who were young when they saw it. And so clearly that, I, I see that. Yeah, it is a little creepy. She recognized, what are you doing here? Are you following me around? But is, do you think that there was some, mm-hmm. is there some appeal to, to women watching this movie about the idea of the most beautiful man in the world sort of following you around and being obsessed with you? I mean, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that it's Heath Ledger who's following yeah. her around. I think also the fact that like his intent is seemingly not, especially compared to your Joey character. Yeah. And even kind of compared to your Joseph Gordon-Levitt, actually, like Heath is the most like initially uninterested and he becomes intrigued by her based on the fact that she's so headstrong, which I like you could also read as being problematic because it's like, oh, we just got to like, you know, break her down and then she'll be great. Yeah. But I think there's also the reading of him like the more he gets to know her, the more he realizes that she is super smart and and. And like interesting. Well, and you know, which is lovely. His ultimate goal is not to sleep with her. Yeah. All the guys around Bianca just want her for her body. Mm-hmm. He is actually sort of quote unquote falling for her as a person as opposed to trying to win a bet and like, you know, take somebody's virginity, which is so often the plot of these yes. movies, right? Yes. Is that they're told from the male gaze and it's all about just like fucking the object you want who oh by the way that object is not an object it's a person Mm -hmm. who like you never see you know so it's also like the prettiest boy the interesting australian accent boy who is not immediately trying to just sleep with you like literally rejects a kiss when you're too drunk and then you know makes an effort to get to know you (laughs) all these things yeah are not usually what you see in movies hopefully it's what happens in real relationships for most people but it's not what you see in movies. She doesn't have to transform herself either, which is a huge trope in these movies. Yeah. You know, yeah. like she she is just yeah. as obnoxious throughout, you know, in a great way, I think. And she doesn't straighten her hair. She doesn't cut Pluck bangs, her eyebrows. She doesn't get contacts, you know, like all that stuff. Like, that's nice. Isn't it true that when we meet her, she has like complete contempt for the entire sort of dating, social, romantic, <laughs> sexual scene? Which is the problem because she's not interested in dating anybody. And that means that according to their crazy father, Bianca, Bianca can't go on a date. But and then she ends up like going to the prom. So she does yeah. change. She kind of accepts like that aspect of life. And she does it not out of generosity. I mean, it, she doesn't do it really because she's out of generosity to her sister. She does it because she decides maybe it's not so bad. She goes to the party. She goes to the prom. So, well, oh, I think she goes to the prom just for her sister. I read that very differently okay. because she doesn't even go technically with Patrick. They don't. He doesn't true. come pick her up. Yeah. They just uh, like end up hanging out once they're there. Mm-hmm. But no, it's Bianca who convinces Cat. Please, please, please. I want to go to prom. She goes to prom by herself. Right. Mm-hmm. Patrick is there, right. and then everything. You know, all the shit hitteth the fan. <laughs> right. As Crumholt says, um, so good. Speaking of which, there there was a f- there was one of the outtakes uh, at the end showed something that I I, I I I'm always aware of, but I never think of, which is that there's a outtake from the prom scene at the end. I can't remember exactly what happens under the credits, 
and you see them filming the scene and what they're all doing is they're all dancing to music that isn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because they, you can't shoot those scenes with the music playing because you have to record the dialogue. So whenever you see like one of those big rave or party scenes in any movie, all the people you see dancing like maniacs to the incredibly loud music are dancing to nothing. And I, I just loved getting a glimpse of that. I'm sorry. That is delightful. But they're dancing to Letters to Cleo. Oh, yeah. Of course. Who appears in this movie, what, three times? Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. I had to and look them know. up. Who the hell were Letters to Cleo? Are they still around? Were they a big band at the time? So the reason yeah. I know who Letters to Cleo are is because it's uh, Ben Wyatt, the Adam Scott character on Parks and Rec. <laughs> He has a Letters to Cleo t-shirt, and it's the shirt that is the telltale sign that he's not doing so hot, like that he's maybe a little depressed or things aren't going well for him. And in one of the episodes of Parks and Rec where they have the big concert, this little Sebastian Memorial concert, (laughs) Letters to Cleo comes and performs. Oh, that's right. And Ben Wyatt is freaking out in the wings because they're there, and it's his favorite band. And so I like to think it's canon that Ben Wyatt maybe is somehow in the world of this movie also as a Letters to Cleo fan. Yeah, I mean, I knew about Letters to Cleo. I wasn't like a huge fan, but yeah, it's like punk adjacent girl. You know, it's sort of like a a nicer version of like garbage or something, you know? Okay. Which is the name of another band? Which is the name of another. <laughs> yes, I thank you. Just to be clear. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate uh-huh. that. I, I, I assumed that from the context. Oh, I didn't think dear. you were actually comparing this band to actual rubbish. So I just okay. I well, let's hear from someone who who was who did appreciate the soundtrack. Okay. I'll just put it that way. Here's a voicemail from Marcella. Hello, Peter, Trisha, and Greta. This is Marcella Vargas. I'm a film critic from Mexico City, and I'm a longtime Nerdette listener. And you are recapping one of my favorite films of all time, and. There's two reasons, two main reasons for that. One is the kick-ass soundtrack that it's got with a bunch of fantastic bands with a lot of girl power. And the other reason is because of the dynamic between the two main characters. Patrick and Kat portray a feminine and a masculine side of a very same coin. And also, also, it has one of the best music scenes of all time with beautiful amazing head ledger singing one of the best four seasons songs ever so yeah that also put a lot of high and completely false expectations on women my age about the way guys in high school would act anyways thank you for listening this was way too long i hope you actually get to listen to my comment on (laughs) 10 things i hate about you Oh, I love that little coda at the end. That was weird. That was like, oh, it's a wonderful movie. It's fabulous. What great music. I love it. Oh, my God. They're so great. And it led me with horrible and unrealistic expectations of how boys would be. Anyway, love the movie. <laughs> like, I what? Wait, say more about that. <laughs> I mean, that makes total sense to me because Heath Ledger, he he's the bad boy. He's a babe. But he also turns out to be like a pretty decent human. Yeah. Which means he's not really a bad boy. In fact, he, there's even a scene where he actually discusses all the reasons he is supposedly a bad boy, all the things he's supposedly... He's like, mm-hmm. no, I didn't do any of those things. Yep. Yeah, when they're comparing notes about the rumors about them, I did think that's mm-hmm. a pretty funny yeah. scene. Yeah, that was But it, it just goes to... I mean, the, the idea of the bad boy being the guy you desire is is kind of undercut by the fact when you find out he's not bad at all. And in fact, he says, "Where? He, oh, I wasn't in prison. I was caring for my ailing grandmother. 
grandfather in Milwaukee, I believe so it was. Excuse me. What Thank if you. all the bad boys are really just taking care of their grandpas in Milwaukee? I think that's the false expectation, right? Right. Is that, like they have this like hard outer shell, but they're actually very sweet. Right. As opposed to the truth about most of us, which is that most of us are garbage. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is a band. <laughs> I'm so glad you know that. Now, I've learned that now. I've learned so much from <laughs> you guys. Let's listen to another voicemail. Um, this one is extra sweet. This is Katrina. Hi, Nerdette. This is Katrina, and I'm calling to talk about my favorite movie of all time, 10 Things I Hate About You. But first, I have to say really quickly that I started listening to your podcast back at the beginning of August, um, just two weeks after giving birth to my daughter, Patricia. And now, every time I listen to your show, I think about how great it is that after having virtually no Trishas in my life, suddenly I have two Trishas to bring me happiness and sustain me on a weekly basis. Um, So yes, to Trisha Bobita and baby Trisha, you are the best. And speaking of the best, (laughs) 10 things. I think it is funny and snarky and smart. This movie made me become briefly obsessed with Kiss Me Kate, which is another adaptation of Taming of the Shrew. Um, This was the movie that cemented Heath Ledger and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as heartthrobs for life. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just the cutest. I just love it when the dad flings that piece of exercise equipment, when Bianca has to wear the pregnancy belly, when Kat and Patrick go paintballing. I love it when Bianca takes out Joey at the end. The soundtrack is stellar. I just love, love, love this movie. I am a little bit afraid that you might find horrible things to say about this movie, but how could you? It's just divine. Okay, I can't wait to hear what you all think. Bye. Aww. A pl- Two Trishas. First of all, thank you for the very kind words about Trishas, and I'm Aww. very excited about the new baby Trisha. More Trishas, more Trishas. Although in the world. I'm just for the record, I'm not a Patricia. I'm just a Trisha. Yes, really. And it's CIA because my mom is a Marsha with the CIA, and it was always very confusing <laughs> to me as a little kid because you would like walk up to particularly say like an older lady, and they would say what's your name, and you would say Trisha, and then they would call you Patricia, and I was like. My brother's name is Rob, and people don't call him Parab. <laughs> like, why are they pieing my name? <laughs> and also, my mom's name is not Pamarsha. But then we decided to start calling her Pamarsha. Yeah, I like Pamarsha a lot. Uh, all I these years, Pamarsha. I had no idea that your name is, is, it says in your birth certificate, it doesn't say Patricia, it says Trisha. Yeah, just Trisha. Not to throw shade on your Patricia, Katrina. No, not no, at all. No, it's a lovely thing. And, and, and in fact, you have given your daughter a gift, which is that she will not be wondering why people are putting a pie <laughs> in front of her name. <laughs> Pagretta and Papeter. <laughs> Papeter sounds especially weird. that happened to you. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Let's listen. We have one more voicemail. This is from Emily. Hey, Nerdette and Peter. It's Emily from Hampton, New Hampshire. I'm so excited you're covering 10 Things I Hate About You and that it made the cut for 90s movies this time around. Um, So in 1999, I was 15, and this movie resonated with me as a high school student, as the oldest of two sisters. I even wore my hair to prom like Julia Stiles, um, pulled up in a tight bun with lots of curls. Um, But the main reason I have such affinity for this movie is I am a proud graduate of Sarah Lawrence College. Also, I graduated in 2006, which actually put me there at the same time as Larissa Olenek. Uh, And it's always been a Sarah Lawrence fun fact that the actress playing Bianca wound up at the school that Kat presumably goes on to attend in the movie. And how refreshing for a smart main character in a teen movie to be obsessed with a good school that's not Harvard. Love the show. Y'all are awesome. Bye. (laughs) Ayo, did you take that as a personal (laughs) affront? I did not. 
I absolutely <laughs> did not. I agree. I agree. <laughs> We got a great written comment from Amanda Samarco who said that Kat showed me that I could be a feminist and still like or gasp even love a man, even one that looks like Heath Ledger, which I thought was pretty great. I do like that about this movie is like she's a man hater, but but she's picky. And I respect that very much. Um, it, it is nice because there's there's always been this sort of weird. I mean, I guess it comes directly from Taming of the Shrew. You know, what you do with independent, resistant women is you break them and make them fall in love with men. That's mm -hmm. like, that's, there it is. There's the patriarchy. And it's nice that we don't do that anymore. Can you guys explain to me the appeal of Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I totally get Heath Ledger. He's gorgeous. I, my heart kind of went pitter-pat whenever he appeared on screen. But what is, <laughs> I've never understood the appeal of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Can you explain it to me? Oh, I think he, I think he's just a babe. He seems like a good guy. Which is so refreshing. He does often get to play and I think sort of has the vibe of like, he, yeah, he's pretty sweet. Like that he is a pretty nice guy. He, uh, Well, in like Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, he, he was, was very like, funny in that show. Well, and, a, and like, he wanted to play the, the Krumholtz character. He wanted to play the sort of goofy really? nerd. Yeah. Aww. And uh, was worried about trying to play sort of like the, the heartthrob number two on the call sheet. Um, the other thing I'll say about Joseph Gordon-Levitt is that he was in Looper, which I thought was excellent, which is like a earlier Ryan Johnson movie. Yeah, and he was really recently great. in Trial of the Chicago 7, which is the new Sorkin movie on yeah, Netflix. Yeah, he's good in that. Which is, he's just like good, I think. I, I'm just going to, you know, it, it's so weird. We obviously are really struck. We were last week. We were, the, but the difference of the last two movies we did, uh, Boys Don't Cry in this, and, and and they're obviously so different movies that it's pointless to even compare them. But it is so weird that movies can, what we talk about movies, we can talk about movies like this, these, these, these popcorn candy movies that are fantasy worlds, just as much as like Padua, Italy was a fantasy world to Shakespeare's audience. Nobody had ever been there. It was all just sort of legend and color. Mm -hmm. And a movie like Boys Don't Cry, which is about real people who are about the same age as these characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and just their d depiction of humanity and what life is like and what sexuality is like and what inner lives are and what outer lives. Are. It's just like, whoa, this is a broad universe, this cinema thing. Yeah, it sure is. I And I think on that note, let's listen to one last clip, which is it happens early and it's Julia Stiles on just like what I found to be an exquisite feminist rant. And I think it'll be a good note to end on. What did everyone think of The Sun Also Rises? I loved it. He's so romantic. Romantic? Hemingway? He was an abusive alcoholic misogynist who squandered <laughs> half his life hanging around Picasso trying to nail his leftovers. As opposed to a bitter, self-righteous hag who has no friends? <laughs> <laughs> Pipe down, Chachi! <laughs> I guess in this society, being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time. <laughs> what about Sylvia Plath or Charlotte Bronte or Simone de Beauvoir? What did I miss? The oppressive patriarchal values that dictate our education. Good. <laughs> hey, and hey, he just I leaves. I love he that. She had to take her mitle before she comes to class. <laughs> Someday you're going to get bitch slapped, and I'm not going to do a thing to stop it. That Mr. Morgan character is so great. I want to thank you for your point of view. I know how difficult it must be for you to overcome all those years of upper middle class suburban oppression. Must be tough. 
But the next time you storm the PTA, crusading for better lunch meat or whatever it is you white girls complain about, ask them why they can't buy a book written by a black man. That's, That's right, right, Mom. Mom. Don't even get me started on YouTube. <laughs> Give me a movie I, about that guy. I mean, that's a great scene. You it have is. to admit. Yeah. It was like, great. That is an excellent scene. I think the Ms. Perky, uh, Mr. Morgan spinoff, Peter, that you asked for near the start, I would very happily watch. <laughs> Give yeah. me that movie. <laughs> the absolute <laughs> lunatic faculty. Did you all know there is a TV show of 10 Things I, I Hate About I You? I found out about that in my yeah, Wikipedia that, that afterwards. It came and it went, apparently. Yeah, let's, let's pass on it. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, see y'all next week for Office Space. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have never seen. Oh, boy. Oh, weird. <laughs> oh, that, that's it's going to be fun because that's one of the movies that by the time I had seen it, I realized I had I had absolutely absorbed so many notes and themes and memes and ideas. I knew about red staplers and uh-huh. OK and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and O face. Yes, it's all there waiting for you, Tricia. That's so funny. I haven't, I haven't seen it since working in an office. Yeah. Like I saw it as a kid, so I'm really curious to see how it holds mm-hmm. up. Of course, as always, we love hearing from you. Thanks to everybody who sent in voicemails. If you would like to chime in about office space, please feel free. Just record yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our intern is Isabel Carter, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. And the theme music for the show is composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.